Welcome to this podcast from Riverside Church Whitstable. We hope you find it helpful and encouraging. If you would like to find out more information about us, why not check out our website at riversideuk.org, our Facebook page, or follow us on Twitter at Whit Riverside. So we're continuing our series uh, on life groups. Our last one today, we're going to bring this series into land. We've been looking at how in a larger church setting, we need to gather intentionally in smaller groups. And we do this for a number of reasons. Jake looked at some of the key areas uh, we've been looking at over the past few weeks. Here we're looking at community, growth, encouragement, vulnerability. And today I want to look at this whole aspect of worship. Jake did a fantastic job over the past two weeks. If you missed any of those talks, you can catch them on our YouTube channel. Uh, He did a great job last week talking about vulnerability um, and how we can connect authentically with each other and how vulnerability is a really key part of that, letting people in, letting people really see who we are. So worship. Well, worship is the most churchy word on that list, isn't it? If you went out into the streets and you asked people about that list and what do those words mean, well, I'd probably be able to tell you what community meant, what growth meant, what encouragement meant what vulnerability was, but if you say what's worship, they'd probably be less familiar. It's the most sort of Christian-y, churchy word up there. What do we mean by worship? Well, the Oxford Dictionary defines it this way. The feeling or expression of reverence and adoration for a deity. Not a very catchy description, is that really? doesn't really describe... I think what we feel our experience and expression of worship is. It's not very catchy, but it is accurate. And in modern Christian churches like Riverside, we tend to think of worship as being the bit that we've just done, the bit with the music uh, and the instruments and the songs. That tends to be the thing that we talk about when we think about worship. But singing songs to God is, is much is one aspect of worship. Worship has much more expression to it than just singing songs. Songs are important, and music has been used over thousands of years to express people's hearts towards God. You you find your Bibles are full of the Psalms, where basically prayers written to song, expressions of people's love towards God. But worship is much more than just singing, much more than music, much more than songs. If the only way I expressed my love to Keely was through singing, <laughs> let's just imagine that for a moment. Here's me. Oh, Keely, I sing my great love for you today. I wasn't oh, well, I tried. <laughs> and I can imagine Keely's response would be something like this. <laughs> If our relationship was only expressed through singing, then I think our relationship would be somewhat limited. And it's the same with God. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Our lives aren't supposed to be a musical with God. That's not how God sees our interaction with him. It's not just supposed to be all about singing to God. Worship is multidimensional, has so many aspects to it. Worship is a much wider expression than just the song worship that we do here on a Sunday, you might do in your own 
private time with God. Our gathered times when we sing worship to God is just one expression of a life of worship. Back in April last year, we did this series called Choose, A Life of Worship. We looked at the whole concept of what it was to think about worship in all aspects of our lives. I haven't got time to unpack the points in those series of sermons today. Uh, If you want to be refreshed again, you can go back onto our YouTube channel and find that playlist and look back into what we talked about back in April. But one of the key themes we talked about in this series called Choose was that how worship is a natural ongoing response to a revelation of God. A natural ongoing response to a revelation of God. When I mean revelation, I mean an understanding of who God is, what he's done, and what he's doing. And worship is an ongoing revelation to that expression coming into our lives. In Romans 12, Paul says, in view of God's mercy, we offer ourselves as living sacrifices. This is our holy and acceptable worship. This is the reasonable response to seeing God a reasonable response is to worship. And when we see what God's like, when we get to see a bit of what he's doing, how he's working in our lives, what he's done, then we have a revelation and response. And this is, a, this is an ongoing cycle that goes kind of round and round in our lives. We get to see who God is and we worship and we respond to him. And as we worship and respond to him, we get to see a bit more of who God is. And, and so this cycle of worship goes on in our lives, and he's going on in heaven now, in, in eternity. The angels and the heavenly creatures are continually seeing who God is, and they're worshipping. Worship doesn't ever dry up if we're in the presence of God. And this revelation of who God is can come at any point in our week. It can come on a Sunday as we sing songs. It can come at any point in our week. It's not limited to times when we gather. The worship in our lives can be stimulated by all sorts of things, things that we encounter. In Psalm 121, the psalmist writes, I lift my eyes up to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. So as the psalmist looks to the glory and splendor of the mountains, he's reminded of who created them. He's reminded of God and he worships God in that moment. And so creation can lead to a revelation which leads to worship. If any of you have gone out somewhere and walked in the mountains or been on the high seas or experienced the grandeur of the creation, often you can find it a very intimate and worshipful moment. Anyone had that experience? Just being somewhere that draws worship from you because there's sheer splendor. Even going out on a dark night and looking up the constellations, for me, can draw worship from me because the beauty and the splendor of creation. And so these big things can draw forth worship, but so can the small things. I was chatting to someone recently over, uh, over lunch. That during COVID, for me, one of the things that drew worship from me was the simple, the boiled egg. I can remember sitting and thanking God for the simplicity and nourishment I was finding in a boiled egg. I was thanking God for the fact I could taste, the fact I could enjoy the nourishment and all the tastes. Now, some of you might hate boiled eggs, but hey, that's a beautiful boiled egg up there, isn't it? Um, Just just the the simplicity and and the taste and the fact that God provides for me, the fact that God 
nourishes me. The fact that God equipped me to be able to taste food, not just eat food. I could actually experience the different tastes that were present. I could take pleasure in the humblest of things, eating a boiled egg. Now, strange as it seems, the, the egg drew forth worship from me because the egg revealed something of the nature of God to me, even the smallest thing, the simplest thing. And because I had that revelation of God through the boiled egg, I could respond in adoration and worship. Now, just to be clear, I didn't jump up and write a worship song with the boiled egg at the central theme. I'm not going to release that any moment soon. But I became aware of the goodness of God through the simplicity of an egg. And that awareness of God in that simple moment led me to respond in worship. And this is how simple worship can be. It can be the simplest thing in your life that reminds you of God. You suddenly become aware of God in a moment in the simplest thing, and that can elicit just a quiet response of worship from you. And it's that awareness of God in all things that draws us into a life of worship. But sometimes in the, in the everyday, in the busyness of our lives, the frenetic nature of modern living, we lose sight of God. We lose sight of the presence of God and the awareness of God in every day. And that's where being part of a life group can really help us. Because when we gather intentionally, when we choose to put ourselves in a group of people, when we choose to meet regularly, when we choose to get together, then the stories are shared. I think I shared my bald egg story in my small group, as it was back then, because I wanted to share how God was reminding me of his presence, even in the smallest things. And when you hear about the activity of God in other people's lives, it reminds you that God is present in your life. It reminds you that God is active in your life, that God is present in the small things in your life. Even if you can't perceive it, when you hear someone else's story, it reminds you of God's activity in your life. And sometimes when we go to our our small group as it was, or our life group now, we're not feeling great. We're not feeling particularly spiritual. We're not feeling maybe even that we want to go. But we make the choice. We we choose to go and we choose to get there and we choose to connect with the people. And then someone shares a story. And it's it's like suddenly the blanket's taken off again and we see God. We're reminded of God in the midst of our own lives. God's still there even though we don't sense him. And that revelation can draw forth worship from us. I've invited Casey to come and share a story that she shared in her, her life group. So I wanted to come and tell a little bit of a story about how this awareness came back for her. Let's welcome Casey. Hello. Um, yes, yeah, so I shared recently um, in my life group about an experience that I had um, back in November last year. And it was a time where um, Dave and I had gone away to stay with some friends Um, And I was feeling particularly distant from God, like really, really, really distant. And um, we'd arrived on the Friday, and that Friday night, I sort of 
really cried out a prayer to God about how distant I felt and, um, and really asked him, can you show me a sign, God, that you are near and that you are with me because I feel really, really distant from you. Um, so I prayed that prayer on the Friday night. On the Saturday, we were getting up early, getting um, in a taxi and going off to Manchester. So got in the taxi in the morning, sat down in the car. And um, I mean, I've been in many taxis and never, ever, ever heard music playing. It's normally completely silent, but there was music playing. And I sort of, oh, okay, it's music playing. And then I realized that it was worship music playing in the taxi. And Dave and I sort of looked at each other. I was like, there's worship music playing in the taxi. That's just really unusual. And like, wow. Um, Okay. You know, feeling quite encouraged by this. And um, so off we went, got the train to Manchester. And uh, we're walking through Manchester city centre. And I suddenly became aware of music playing in the city centre, which isn't necessarily unusual. Um, but as I paid attention and it was sort of blasting out through big speakers, it was a worship song. Um, and not only was it just any worship song, it was Oceans, which for me was um, and is a very personal song. Um, and Dave and I sort of looked at each other. I was like, oh, my goodness, this is literally unbelievable. I mean... Dave said it's almost like we were expecting a plane to like go across with KC I'm here <laughs> because it was just so powerful that you know for me I I prayed that prayer and that actually God had used worship which for me is a is a definite sort of personal way that I communicate with God and he'd used worship music to communicate with me and it was just so such a powerful moment and so encouraging and I think for me to be able to share that in our life group I just hope did bring encouragement um, that as Simon says God is always around us even if we aren't aware and, and that was also a massive answer to prayer and very encouraging. Thank you Jason. Thank you. So not only did God encourage Casey, but when she would have shared that story in her group, it would have also encouraged the people around them who might have also been feeling distant from God at that time, that God actually is present. Even when we don't expect it, God is wanting to cut through and remind us that he's present all around us all the time. And that, and that, and that stimulation to worship and to come back into a relationship with God. So when we gather in life groups, we're reminded of who God is. We're reminded of God's activity in our lives. We're reminded that we're doing life together in God. Sometimes our life groups, they carry us into the presence of God through people's testimonies. In Mark's gospel, you read about some men who carried a paralyzed friend up onto a roof and then dug through the roof to lower that person down into the presence of Jesus. They carried that man and lowered him through that roof into the presence of Jesus. And sometimes we need other people to carry us into the presence of God. We simply can't get there on our own. We need friends around us who can carry us and bring us into the presence of God. 
And recognising that we need each other is also a key aspect of worship. Because at its heart, worship is saying there is someone greater than me who is worthy of my love and adoration. We've talked before about how worship is essentially dethroning ourselves and saying there's someone greater than me who is worthy of my worship and adoration. And that is a humbling thing to do. That is a humbling path to take. And when we enter Christian community, we're essentially saying and acknowledging to each other, I can't do life on my own. I can't do life on my own. I need to be in a family. I need to be in a community that can help me walk this road. We need other people to help us to journey on in God. And in Mark's gospel, that man could have stayed isolated from Jesus. He could have said to his friends, just leave me alone. Leave me alone. I don't want to be humiliated. Being lowered through a roof in front of a crowd into the presence of Jesus. Just leave me be. I want to stay isolated. But he chose that path. Have you ever thought how humbling it must have been for him? He was already paralyzed. And yet he let his friends take him up onto a roof, dig through a roof. They didn't have permission from the house owner to dig through the roof, but they did. They were destroying property to get this man into the presence of God. An incredibly humbling thing to do. How would Jesus receive him? What would the house owner think? But he allowed them to carry him into the presence of God, into a place of worship. And this humbling of ourselves is a key aspect of our walk with Jesus, a key aspect of our worship. Humbling ourselves is a key part of our healing and being brought to wholeness. King David was chastised by his wife, Michael, for dancing in his underwear in the public street at the head of a procession as the Ark of the Covenant was returned to Israel. And David got so excited that he stripped down and danced in worship in front of the Ark. And his wife looked out of a window and she, she thought, what are you doing? <laughs> What are you doing? You absolute fool. You absolute fool. A man of your status, a king, dancing in his underwear publicly. You're bringing contempt to us. You're bringing disdain to us. You're, and, he, and Michael really laid into him. She thought it was vulgar that a king would dance in worship in his underwear publicly. How could a king behave in such a way? And David replied, he said, actually, it wasn't before the people that I danced, it was before the Lord that I worshipped. And he said, I'm prepared to become even more undignified than this. If it means I can worship God with all my heart. To be undignified is to be foolish in other people's eyes. And we often spend most of our lives, don't we, worrying what people think about us. How we perceive, what, what do people really think about us? But David had journeyed to a place in his relationship with God where he got beyond that. He'd stopped worrying what people thought about him. He was prepared to come on this abandoned act of worship publicly because for him, that was the fullest expression of his heart. It was more important that he worshipped God than how people perceived him. And acknowledging that we need God and we need people is a very humbling thing for us to do. And our egos just don't like it. 
Your ego doesn't like the fact that you say you need people. Your ego doesn't like the fact that you say you need God. You would much rather self-save. You would much rather swerve inward to the self. You would much rather think about ways to isolate. That's what your ego and your fleshly nature will try and do. We'd all prefer to save ourselves if we could. Because that's what our egos like. We'd all prefer to swerve inward to ourselves, to serve ourselves, not look outward towards God and towards other people. We've said before, haven't we, how the self has a kind of gravity that we have to fight against. We have to keep trying to turn ourselves outward, away from the gravity of the self, which the Bible calls sin. And the gravity of self-worship in all of us is very strong. It's very strong. And we have to continue to fight against that gravity of self-worship if we're going to turn outward towards worshipping God and being in community with other people. We've said, haven't we, in this series, we all need community, we all need vulnerability, we all need encouragement in our lives if we're truly to thrive. And often we need friends to carry us back into the presence of God so we encounter those things. The paradox is, guys, you need people to help you get into God's presence to worship but worship will lead you to a place where you don't care what people think. You need the people to help you get there, but ultimately when you get there, God is looking to release you into a place where actually you don't care what the people think about you because you want to abandon yourselves in worship to God, just like David did. And so worship is a path that frees us from the opinions of people and takes us to a place of freedom in God. And God uses the people around you as a conduit for his love and his grace to help bring you to that place of worship. We simply can't do it on our own. We need safe spaces like life groups to create the environment where we're truly set free to worship. I remember my first experience in a small group many, many years ago and actually finding this beautiful, sweet opportunity just to worship and just to be set free. I can remember kneeling on the floor of someone's lounge, not caring what anyone else thought about me. For the first time in my life, I felt free of people's opinions. I could just kneel on this carpet and just hold my hands up and sing these simple songs and, and be at peace with God in worship. So as we come into these groups intentionally, as we come into community Our hearts are worn by God's love. Our fear of rejection, our insecurities, they start to fall away. And God begins to heal us and bring us to wholeness. And suddenly these beautiful worshipping communities are created. We have a a wonderful time when we gather on a Sunday. But we also have these beautiful intimate times when we're, we're together in smaller groups. And worship doesn't have to be sung. It doesn't have to have music. It can just be in the simple sharing of a story. And once again, we're reminded of who God is. We have a revelation of the activity of God in our lives and our hearts are warmed to respond to him. So as we come into land on this series, I hope we've encouraged you that life groups aren't just an organisational idea in the life of the church. That I think they're essential to any larger church because we all need People walk close to one another. We all need to have proximity to people that we can trust. We all need to share lives together. That's how God set it up. 
That's how God ordained it, that we be brought together into family. And so I want to encourage you again today, if you haven't already thought about signing up for a group, then please give your name to Deb. She'd love to try and help you. We've waited to the end of the series to try and place the people that have signed up during the past few weeks. If we need to plant more groups, we'll plant more groups. But we want to bring people into smaller environments of love and community where we can learn to grow together, where we can be encouraged, where we can be vulnerable. You need to know that someone knows about your life properly. You need to have people who are trusted companions to journey with you. You need to have people who know that when you're poorly, you need to have people who know when you want to celebrate. You need to have all sorts of opportunities to share what's going on in your life. And the best place for that to take place is in a smaller setting like a life group. And I love catching up with people on a Sunday. I love bouncing into people and saying highs and byes. But really, the chance where I get to go deeper is in, is in my life group. I get to journey deeper with a few people. And we can only do it with a few people. We can't do it with a lot of people. We, we're not designed to have 50 or 60 deep, close relationships. You know, Jesus had 12 disciples for a reason. We can have close proximity with a small number of people and maybe even a smaller number within that. Jesus had his three, didn't he? Where we can really go deep and share life and someone can really know you and you can know somebody else. If you're able, why don't you stand with me? Thank you for listening. If you'd like to contact us about this talk, to hear more or to find out about Riverside Church Whitstable, then visit our website at riversideuk.org. Also, you can contact us through our Facebook page or tweet us at Whit Riverside.